0: Okay, being Father's Day, if you would permit me, I'm having a break from roof today because I'm basically doing a Father's Day message. And um, if you would give me a bit of grace, I'd like to start off by today by having a look at something of the lighter side of life. I got sent an email from a friend of mine and these are the 10 commandments to understanding a man. Number one, Sunday equals church, then watching sports, let it be. Number two, shopping is not a sport and no, we were never going to think of it that way. Number three, whenever possible, please say whatever you have during commercial breaks. Four, Christopher Columbus and Captain Cook did not need to ask for directions and neither do we. Five, don't cut your hair, ever. It causes unnecessarily arguments when we dare to comment on it. Six, Yes and no are perfectly acceptable answers to almost every question. Seven. If we ask what's wrong and you say nothing, we will act like nothing's wrong. We know you're lying, but it's just not worth the hassle. Eight. Anything we have said six months ago is inadmissible in an argument. In fact, all past comments become null and void after seven days. Nine. If you want some dessert after a meal, have some. Don't say no, I don't want any, I couldn't, I shouldn't and then need half of ours. (laughs) And finally, number 10, if something we said can be interpreted two ways and one of those ways makes you feel sad and angry, we meant the other one. (laughs) As I said, these were given to me by a friend of mine. In some ways they're funny, but in other ways they're sad. They paint men in a certain way, a way many TV shows grab hold of. I'm sure you're all aware our TVs are full of shows about men and dads and families. Not that I've ever seen a show, but the friend of mine who gave me these Ten Commandments used to tell me about one of his favourite shows. It was a TV show called Men Behaving Badly. I've never seen it and I don't really know what the show contains, but the title left to me no... Imagination. Anyway, seeing the title of the show, it got me thinking. I remember I challenged my friend and said, now, sorry to be an old fuddy-duddy, but is that what our world needs to see today? A show about men behaving badly? He agreed, yes, you're right, you are just being an old fuddy-duddy, and I should just learn to relax. The show was a comedy, Garth, and he said it was just meant for light entertainment. Still, I couldn't get past the thought, is that what our world needs today? a show about men behaving badly and I thought no what our world needs today is a show about men behaving godly because today is Father's Day that's exactly what my sermon is about today men behaving godly I mean if there was ever a day to look or study at what that means men behaving godly or if there was ever a day when the world needed faithful men today is the day so with that in mind You understand today's message is directed towards our men. I'm sorry to exclude you ladies today, but I figured you wouldn't mind as my Mother's Day message was directed to you, so I've got to keep it fair. Also today I'm spending time trying to help your husband, boyfriend, brother, son, and yes, even your pastor to shape up and be a godly man. So feel free, if I say something, to give the elbow to the person next to you. Many people talk about issues and problems in our world today. And I'm sure we could think and pick problems and issues in our society. But being Father's Day, I'm focusing on one. The problem of family. As most of you are aware, for the last eight years, I worked at a high school as a counsellor. I remembered when I told people that, so often they would respond by saying, wow, what a hard job. I mean, how do you go about dealing with the bad behaviour and lack of respect in our young people today? And then they would often make that great comment, well, the kids are the way they are today because of the breakdown of the family. What about you? Do you believe us Australians do family very well? Well, I know some would agree with the comments from above. Some would say families today aren't where they should be. We've lost our way. Why? So often the answer to this is tied up with what we talked about before, the issue and problems in our world. Our world or a society has lost its way, so obviously families will naturally follow. Do you know, I've heard many people blame society on the state of family. However, I'm not sure if you saw it, but a study was done at Monash University. They looked at society and families from around the world and it was quite surprising what they found in their research. The research found the condition of the family didn't come from the condition of society. In fact, the opposite was true. They found the basic structures and belief found in society came or were changed by the basic structures and belief by the families in that society. When families were strict or held strong values on things like respect, drinking, education or whatever, so did the society they lived in. When families lost some of those strong values, you guessed it, so did society. So Monash Uni concluded, we can know for a fact that the way the family goes, the way society goes. No wonder we have that saying, it all starts at home. Now I know from my time at high school, many have come up with ideas, programs, solutions, tools to help restore the family. Many so-called professionals have worked out the answer. Well I guess you understand when we as a school welfare team looked at these ideas, programs, solutions or tools, they all came from different backgrounds and they all had different ideas. However, I remember once our guidance officer made a comment at one of our meetings. He asked us, did any of us notice how but all two of these reports mentioned or programs mentioned a recurring problem or issues in family? The one problem or issue that kept coming up, he said, was this, the lack of influence of males in family and the lack of influence of males on our young people in society. Do you know at our primary school in Tagulawa, we didn't have a male teacher. Every student that got to high school got there without having a male teacher. Sadly, our primary schools now, I think it is something like 9% of teachers in our primary schools are males. Businesses are the same, families are the same. One comment by a child psychologist in his program was this, if families are to survive in the 21st century, they will have to be led by fathers. Now, I know for a few people, they found this a little bit controversial and they got quite upset. It's not very politically correct, especially for a school. But my riding buddy every morning was the principal of our school. And he was part of our welfare team. We would ride every morning for an hour and a half before my bus run. He made the big mistake of asking me my opinion. He asked me, do I believe that this comment by this child psychologist is true? And I said, yes. I believe one of the main things our families need today is strong male leadership, strong dads. The key to any good family is the leadership of the man, I told him. I also said to him, for me, this is even more especially true in the life of a Christian family. To steal or add to the psychologist's comment, if Christian families are going to survive in the 21st century, men will need to stop behaving badly and start to behave godly. Listen, men, the men of Australia, we need a wake-up call. Our world needs us today more than ever to be godly men. Our wives need us to be godly men. Our children need us to be godly men. Our church need us to be godly men. Our workplaces, our community all need us to be godly men. When men are behaving badly, sorry, when men are behaving godly and fulfilling their God given sense of assignment as a spiritual leader in their homes, the home is stable, secure, and satisfying. However, when families crumble and fall apart, it is most often the result of men failing in their God given roles in the spiritual leadership in the home. That's when we get men behaving badly instead of godly. When men fail, The homes fail and all of society feels the repercussions. When men behave badly, family and society suffer. When men behave godly, family and society is strengthened. Today, I want to help us as men by looking at a passage that speaks directly to us men on the issue of being men, behaving godly. This passage doesn't come from a psychologist. It doesn't come from a man who had it all together and knew no problems. This passage comes from a man who knew what it was to live on both sides of the fence. What do I mean? This man knew what it was to behave badly, but he also knew what it was to behave godly. Today's passage is a psalm and it was written by David. David was a man's man. He was a warrior. He was the brave lad who killed Goliath and cut off his head. He was a family man. He had the responsibility of a wife and children. He was a man with great responsibilities. He was a businessman. He was a king. He was a builder and an administrator. He was a spiritual man. David was a leader in temple worship. He wrote psalms and hymns of praise. He was a man after God's own heart. Wow, what a resume. But because of this resume, I think David could relate to every man in this room today. He experienced everything we experienced as men. David can relate to us and most of us can relate to him. So let's read this powerful passage of scripture that was written by a man for men. But most importantly, let's just not read it. Let's listen to what he says about men behaving godly. And it comes from Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delights in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are his in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. God will come to him who is generous and lend freely, and conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be forsaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear in the end. He will look in triumph on his foes. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high and in honour. The wicked men will see and be angry. He will gnash his teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. What a passage. Now, I'm not going to go through this word for word like I am with Ruth. In fact, go home and reread it. Put it on the back of your toilet door. But just look at some of the promises David had discovered to be true in his life when he was living godly. In this psalm, he writes promises concerning his children will be mighty in the land. His wealth and riches will be in his house. Even darkness lights dawns. God, will, good will come. He will never be forsaken. He will not fear. His heart is secure. How many of us men want those blessings for our homes and our families? Well, Psalm 112 tells us exactly where the whole process begins to be men behaving godly. Look closely again at David's advice in verse 1. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delights in his commands. This gets right to the root of the problem for most of us men. Too many men don't have a healthy fear of God. Too many men don't find great delight in his commandments. When a man truly fears God and truly loves God's word, that man is on his way to true godliness. His life is going to be productive and successful. This place, again, to begin is verse 1. Be a man who fears God and finds great delight in his word. I'm telling you, this is the kind of man the world needs, your wife needs and children needs and our church needs. Now for today, I want to challenge us men in three areas, which I believe come out in Psalm 112. Three specific areas that will help us become men behaving godly. And... Specifically, be the kind of man that will provide good leadership for our homes, our wives, our children and our church. And as men, we're very logical, so I've even made it easier. They all start with A. And the first A is this. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Acknowledge what? Acknowledge the power of your influence that you have as a man. For us men here today who are husbands or fathers, we need to realise and acknowledge the tremendous power of our influence in our marriages and in our children. As a husband, you have a powerful influence on your wife. I'm telling you, fellas, our wife's happiness and emotional security is almost entirely rested upon us. Now, before you jump up and down and say, no, nah, that's God's job, or my wife should find her happiness and emotional security in God, I agree. But let me tell you this, God has placed you there as a tool, that is the one he uses to get it. You are there to bring that to your wife. I believe this is the point Paul makes when he says in Ephesians 5.24, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, of which he is the saviour. Being the head of your wife doesn't mean you're her boss. It doesn't mean you're her taskmaster. It does not mean that you have a right to rule over her or bully her. Being the head of your wife means you have the responsibility for her well-being. Just as Jesus is our saviour, you are to act that way towards your wife. You are her supply. You are the one who provides security and satisfaction for her. You are to treat and give her what Christ gives to you and Christ gives to the church. And when you love her in the same way Christ loves the church, she will become secure, satisfied and special. So as husbands, you have a God-given power of influence on your wife. And here's another one. As a father, you have a powerful influence on your children Every day, men become fathers for the first time. Just like the three dads we had up here this morning, you know, they come fathers without any training, without any instruction sometimes. I remember I was a worker for Mission SA, I was a youth worker for the police department, and I was chatting with one guy, and, uh, and he said, Garth, he said, Garth, he remembered when he first became a dad, and he said it hit him. He said, to get a car licence, I had to do things for six months. To get an apprenticeship, I would have to do things for four years. To get a degree or a a post-grad would be even longer. He said, how much did I need to do to become a dad? Nothing. And he said to me, he said, when he became a dad, he felt so unprepared. People say, that's okay because bringing up the kids is mum's job. But in spite of what the world or TV or our friends may say about your role as a dad, I'm telling you, your children need you desperately just as much as the church needs Jesus Christ. It should come as no surprise to us dads that we have a tremendous influence on our children. I remember a mentor once said to me, um, and they said, What I do or say as a dad, especially in the first three years of my children's life, will be remembered by them and have an impact on them for the rest of their lives. Let me tell you, that was a heavy day. (laughs) To help me with my sermon this week, I went and looked up some of... Is there any data or statistics? I knew there was. What are the effects of growing up without dads? Now, I know we have single mums, and please, I'm not bagging single mums. I'm just looking at what effect does it have on our children when dads aren't around? It blew me away. It affects both boys and girls. For the girls who grow up without dads, they're more likely to have children as teenagers, be married as teenagers, have marriage breakups and have more husbands. For the boys without dads, they're more likely to drop out of high school, experience marriage failure, become um, incarcerated in state juvenile detention centers. They're also higher in getting into drugs and alcohol. They also have higher emotional behavioral problems and they're also higher chance of them being violent. This tells me as a dad I'd better be behaving godly because there's too much at stake in my two daughters. If we are going to be men behaving badly, we're not going to only wreck our own life. We have the potential to wreck the life of our children. This is the influence that we need to acknowledge. The Bible gives such strong and explicit instructions to dad on their responsibilities towards their children. Psalm 127, three to five. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward for him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame. He will confront his accusers at the city gates. City gates, I speak about that. <laughs> Ephesians 6, four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up, um, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Colossians 3.21, fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. If you want to understand more of the influence you have as fathers on your children, then I challenge you to read the Bible, especially the Old Testament. When you do, notice how often it makes reference to children following the same paths their fathers took, whether it was for behaving badly or whether it was for behaving godly. Now, some of you may be sitting here thinking, Garth, why are you talking like this? doesn't apply to me. I mean, maybe you're like Bo and you can say, my kids are all old, they're, they're left home. I don't have that influence. Well, let me tell you, it doesn't matter if your child is one or 101. You never stop being their dad, never. When they are with you, do they still see a man behaving godly? And that's why I asked Bo that question about how does he still influence his children today? So that's my first day. Acknowledge. Acknowledge the power of your influence. As a husband, you have a powerful influence upon your wife and you have a powerful influence upon your children. And now for my second A. Arrange. Arrange what? Arrange the priorities in your life. Sorry to go down a bad track because I know ever since we stopped wearing nappies, people have been telling us about to arrange our priorities. But even though we've heard it, for most of our lives, a lot of men don't do it we still have our priorities out of whack. It was a while ago, I read an article done by BHP. Growing up in Broken Hill and my dad working with BHP sparked an interest in this article and I thought I'd have a look at it. The article was about how the board of BHP surveyed managers across Australia and asked them what they worried about most in life. The results were this. The number one worry for them men was personal health. The second was lack of time. Number five was personal investments. Number six was estate planning or buying real estate. Number seven was their relationship with their children. And number 10 was their marriage. Would you say a lot of these fellas had their priorities all messed up? Only two of the top 10 worries related to a man's personal world. And even then, they didn't rank that high. They ranked number seven and number 10. Surely they got it wrong. Well, how's ours? I believe part of being godly men means to rearrange the priorities of our life. Some of us know we have our priorities out of line, but we don't really want to do anything about it. Do you want to know what order? We'll look at Psalm 112 because I believe the first three verses are a scale of what we should prioritise in our life. Priority one man's relationship with his God. Verse two man's relationship with his family. And verse three man's relationship with himself. Is this not a pretty good scale of priorities? There seems to me to be the first three things that every man who wants to behave godly should be focused on. Our man's first priority must be to our relationship to God. Gentlemen, the first priority we have in life is to be a godly man and to have a passion for God. Let me ask you guys today, is this your first priority? Is God your first love? Do you think about him more than you think about sports, your job or recreation? Do you give him the first place in your life of your priorities? Do you give him the first place in your finances? Do you talk about him naturally in your day-to-day conversations as you do talking about your favourite food? Do you have a hunger and a passion to know him better every day? Are you pursuing the knowledge of Christ through prayer and the study of God's word? That is our first priority. A man's second priority must be his relationship with his family. By nature, men are task-orientated and most men tend to find their identity in what they do. Therefore, we tend to take our jobs way too seriously and sadly, at times, neglect our families. But we need to prioritise families. We need to ask ourselves the hard questions about prioritising our families. Are we failing to spend enough time with our families? Are we failing to emotionally and spiritually meet the needs of our families, our children and our wives? Are we failing to get in touch with our children? Are we failing to communicate God's values and spiritual truths to our families? Hard questions, yes, but very important ones to ask. I've been with a few men in palliative care on their deathbed, And you know, I've never heard one of them make the comment, Garth, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. A third man's priority must be his relationship with himself. Now, I know this sounds a bit stupid because, as I just said, we're task-orientated. Sometimes we have enough trouble working out our relationship with our wives and kids, never alone working out the one we're meant to have with ourselves. So what do I mean when I say a man must work out his relationship with himself? As men, we must make a priority of developing an inner character, making a priority of developing a personal righteousness. That is what Psalm 112 is all about. Sadly, at times, I think this is hard because there are some hazards that come along with just being male. Most times we're quiet. We're non sharer of feelings. Feelings, what are they? We think logically, not emotionally. So most things for a man is black and white, and these things work against us of having sometimes a life towards godliness. Us men don't have a natural life that is directed towards godliness. In fact, our natural life is directed towards sinfulness and selfishness. We are built as fallen sons of Adam's. This works against us developing in a character of righteousness. Sure, women have this too, but I can't help but think as men, we all have our own unique brand of selfishness and sinfulness. For me, there is one major problem that sets men apart from women, pride. There's the old saying, men are 90% ego wrapped up in skin. Others have said if a woman could buy a man um, for what he is worth and then sell him for what he thinks he's worth, she would make a huge profit. Now, you may laugh. In fact, it's probably only your wives that are laughing. But us men have our own unique version of pride and arrogance, We sometimes think we're Rambo, John Wayne, Chuck Norris and Albert Einstein all rolled up into one person. Because of this, unfortunately, most men are focused on getting their needs met because they see themselves more valuable than what they really are. This doesn't help us develop an inner character of righteousness. I've heard many times in counselling men say to me, my wife is just not meeting my needs. I want to say to them, quit being so concerned about your needs and start getting concerned about your character. Our scriptures are full of verses relating to us men, but let me tell you one I think is the saddest we find in scripture. Proverbs 20 verse 6. Many a man proclaim his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? This is a confronting verse in a way because it challenges us with the question, Men think one way, but they live another. If it's true we can't find a trustworthy man, then chances are it's going to be hard to find one behaving godly. Can I make a suggestion to us men? We need to make a priority of developing inner character of personal righteousness in our life. We need to be fearing the Lord and taking great delight in his commands. We need to be saying, I'm going to stop the madness. I'm going to start loving God and keeping his commandments. I'm going to fear God and take great delight in his commands. I'm going to turn my life over to God and teach my children and my family and my community and my church to do the same. What difference would that make? So that's my second A, arrange. Arrange the priorities of your life. Prioritise God, your family, your inner character and your personal righteousness. And now for my final A. Act. Act on what? Act on your priorities that you just set. So many times, if you've been in men's group, the question will come up: What does it mean to be a man of God? Well, it means acting on the priorities we just looked at. What does a man of God or a man behaving godly look like? Just look closely at I'm 112, and you'll see some things. This kind of man is righteous. He is gracious, he is compassionate, he is generous, he's giving, he's just, he's fair, he has great faith, he's reliable and he's fearless. That is what a man behaving godly looks like. These are the kind of responsibilities we should be acting upon. I've definitely covered acting upon your spiritual and family responsibilities, but I want to focus on one more. And it's this verse in Psalm 112. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. Part of your priority should be to act generously with your finances. This man spoken of in Psalm 112 was evidently very responsible with his finances. It says his home was full of riches. Here is a man who was wise and careful. He exercised discipline in his spending. Here is a man who is not spending all his money on himself. He's giving a priority to the way he uses his money. And a major part of his financial stewardship was generosity. He was being very generous. Can I just say, we know what this is about. I shouldn't really do this in a sermon, but I am. I got an email yesterday from Kerry and I want to thank everyone who's been generous in this church. This church has paid 1000 Raise $1,600 for the defibrillator in Mill Valley Ranch. We can only do that because we know what it is to have a priority of act genuinely, generously with your finances. She said that she's going to do a special plaque and it's going to go up in Mill Valley Ranch stating that we paid for it. To which I said that's good and make sure that before anyone uses it that they must take time to read the plaque before they Well, you'll be happy to know, guys, the ear-bashing is over. I'm going to stop because I think it's time to start behaving godly. But it's our choice. It's time to acknowledge the power of our influence on our wives and children, arrange the priorities of our life, our relationship with God, our relationship with our family, our relationship with our inner life and character, and act on all of the above. I wonder if there are some men here today who are willing to stand up and be real men for our church, our families, our wives, our children. I wonder, are we really prepared to be men behaving godly? Let me finish with this. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. Happy Father's Day.